Welcome to another edition of Referee Rant Podcast. I'm Ralph the Ref. Uh, today I have a special guest, Steve Baum. He's been my guy from day one. We took the Board 41 class together, and we both had to take it a second year for him. He passed the written test. And he got hurt and tore his Achilles attending a scrimmage in Manhasset. And for me, I just failed the written test because I'm just the loser. But uh, we're going to talk, uh, have a nice wide-ranging conversation about him, about him playing basketball back in his days at Bayside High School, um, how he decided to become a ref. Um, I know he wants to do baseball, but I'm still trying to get him to do it. I don't know why he doesn't want to yet. And also just his love and affinity for reading the rules. He got me into the rules. I was never a rule guy, but uh, somehow I find myself always at his house trying to learn more and more rules. So here's our wide conversation with Steve Mom. Steve, what's up, man? How are you, Ralph? Good, man. Beautiful Monday morning. Looks like the sun's peeking out. Yeah, I've got a beautiful view of my backyard here. It's great to have you over. Always fun talking baskets and refereeing talk. Okay, so I don't believe this. I, I can't envision a world where you were a basketball player and that you were good and that you had long, flowing hair. But set the scene when you were in high school. What kind of player were you? Well, you saw my yearbook, so... Uh, I did. And uh, we're talking about high school. That was 19... Well, you want to start with high school? You could start with... Okay, let's... How did you start falling in love with bas- basketball? It's crazy, my friend. And you remember things when you're growing up that stick with you the rest of your life. I must have been 10, 11 years old, and we were at the schoolyard, PS209 in Whitestone, Utopia Parkway, 17th Avenue. We all met there to play ball. And they were choosing up sides. Back then, the two best players or the two captains they chose, put their fingers in, they would choose. What year is this? That must have been, say, 1967. Whew. Yeah, I was born in 55. That's when my mom came to America. That's when The Graduate <laughs> came out in the movie theaters. Yeah, we were the child of the 60s. So, and we all met at the schoolyard every single day after school. Sometimes we didn't even go home. We played in our school clothes. And they were choosing up sides, and then they'd choose five, five, and... They come to the last player, and I'm with one other guy, Dave Porter, and they chose Dave over me. Mm. Oh, man, I could still feel the hurt. I went right behind a tree there, and I didn't want to see these guys see me crying. I said to myself, I'm going to be the best that I can do in basketball. I'm going to practice as much as I can. I'll never forget that day. And from then on, I would stay in the schoolyard by myself with the ball, run up and down the court, and um, just hone my game. And I had that drive when I was very young. Remember that. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about your high school days. You went to Bayside High School in Queens. Bayside High School, crazy era. It was the 70s. They had the Black Panthers, they had the hippies, they had the hitters. Those were the rocks. You know, there were fights in the park. There was 5,600 kids in the school. I remember trying out uh, for the team, and I was nervous, you know. And um, Coach Jerry Abel, I was a sophomore, and I, I made the team. You know, it was my first year. I didn't play much. I got into the last game of the year. I remember it was against Flushing High School. They had a great player, Willie Green, one of the best ball players. I started that game, and I started every other game my junior and senior year. They were great times. You know, and I used to go from practice. We'd have practice from about 3 o'clock to 5, and then go right to the night center. And I played in the night center, playing the courts at 209 all day. And back then, if you lost, if you weren't good enough to be paid, that's it. The day's over. We had two f- full courts, one opposite another. And the older guys, I remember my first game, 
sitting on the bench and they needed a player. And these were the old guys, Howie Weinstein, Scotty Singer. These guys played for their college. And they pointed to me, bam, get on the court. And I said, oh. And I remember scoring a basket and all my younger friends up there cheering. You know, and it was my initiation. I'll never forget that day. I had a pretty decent career at Bayside. We didn't have a good team our senior year. We lost most of our games. But uh, it, it, it was... Uh, it was a very uh, memorable time. I loved it. Okay, what about life after high school? What was your relationship with basketball? Well, after high school, I went off to Fairleigh Dickinson University. In Jersey? In Jersey. And I could have went to any state university. I could have went to city schools. And I could have played for the teams. But I had a girlfriend that I was in love with. And I went to the state by. Big mistake. And so uh, I didn't make the Fairleigh Dickinson team. And I felt I should have, but... Whatever happened, I was heartbroken. I remember I cried in my dorm that day. You know, and then I got into other things, which... Uh, <laughs> Early 70s type things? Early 70s. And see, I want to keep it simple as that. My daughter might listen to it or someone. So uh, I went astray for a while. Okay. Let's say that. And I went, and I was also the assistant coach at Bayside High School right after. So um, I stayed close to the game after that. But afterwards, you know, that when I didn't make the team, it, it, it was a heartbreaking experience for me. Do you think that made you more callous about game of basketball, as if um, you deserved something that you never got and you felt you felt more negative thoughts about it? No, nah, not really. You know, I just felt I should have made the team. You know, and then I always thought if I would have went to uh, Oswego, I would have been able to play uh, Oneonta, Brockport, mm-hmm. or any Queens College, Queensboro. I know I would have made it, but I thought I was good enough to make the team. I always thought I came on the court, I had long hair, I wasn't a prototype uh, a ball player that the coach was looking for. And I played well in that that that, uh, that tryout, but uh, maybe that held me back in a, a reputation of doing things that weren't mm. accepted at the time. Okay. And I thought it was just the long flowing hair. No, no. Everyone had long flowing hair, but the coaches back then used to make you cut it if it, if it was too long, facial hair. It was a different era. There's a large gap between the early 70s and when I met you, and I met you in September 2013. What was your relationship between you and basketball from 2013 all the way from the early 70s? I always remained a student of the game. I always watched college. I went to the garden. I saw many games. I was at the game when Willis Reed limped on the court in 1969 when they won the championship against the, uh, uh, the, the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, I was at... The uh, ECAC said the college tournaments, Cassie Russell versus Bill Bradley in those days. Cassie Russell was nice. Yeah, I was living in the garden. I was still playing in outside leagues, still playing in the schoolyards. And uh, I kept playing the game up until when I tore my Achilles tendon a few years back. So I always stayed close to the game. And I I always wanted to be part of it. I even took a a thing of being a sportscaster. Mm. I went to announcer training studios. It didn't pan out. I always kept close to the game, watching it, and I always loved it. It's, it's been a love of mine. Well, segue, um, I think this is a perfect opportunity to get your broadcasting skills back up mm-hmm. to par with this new medium that we have. Um, so it sounds as though you were always close to the game, so I'm interested as to why it took you so long to find refereeing. Basically, I went into refereeing because um, to make extra money. Mm. You know, me and my wife would have... Move to Long Island, taxes go up. My daughter's about to go into college in a few years. You know, I, I work in the garment trade. 
you know, but I was looking for an extra income. And my wife said, you love basketball, why don't you just try to be a referee? And she was the one who actually got me going. I said, yeah. So I went online, I saw what we had to do, and went to the class, I met you, and it just uh, took off from there. Now, when she initially brought you that idea, were you kind of hesitant first, or were you saying, oh, that's not a bad idea? Because I know for me, before I even got involved with the refing, I just thought of all of the adult leagues where I just... I don't know. They never took it serious, and they always got this crazy abuse. Not that it was coming from me, just more of me being a worldly observer of things. I always saw that it was a less sought-after um, thing, occupation that, that somebody would want to do if they were going to be um, ridiculed like that. No, your first response, it, the minute she said I said, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I love the game. You know, I understood the game. It's funny, but once you come and you start taking those courses, your knowledge of what the game has nothing to do with what you're about to right. venture into. Which, which I found out from the beginning that I had to study that book. Yeah, to see, pass the test. That's you did. That's why we were in the fork in the road. You continued right. to to study, and I continued to be like, "Well, mm-hmm. I know this game inside out. I'll be good." Right. right. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So we took the class together, and I'll just say for myself um, that experience for me was very painful. Um, I didn't, I love to read. I read on my own. I read about 50 books a year, but that rule book just looks so voluminous. Mm-hmm. It looks so, it looks so technical. I've never seen basketball painted in a way like that. So for me, I kind of just accumulated the rules over the years by just watching games. Um, I was always quick to be, if we played a pickup game, I'd be the one to call the rule. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't want to read it. I thought I can just kind of take all my previous knowledge and, and just roll that in on the floor test. However, I noticed that there was this one old white guy in the, in the, in the class, and his name was Steve, and he would just meticulously be in the, in the rule book, and he would constantly raise his hand to the uh, instructor, and he would ask questions of things that I should have known mm-hmm. and things that I wouldn't know otherwise um, had you not brought it up to everyone's attention. And I think that's when I should have known that I was going to be in trouble since I wasn't taking it as serious as somebody like you. So where did you find your deep affinity for looking up rules and trying to get into the nitty gritty of different things that may or may not happen in games and other situations? Uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment, uh, old white man. <laughs> I'll take that with, uh, you know, coming from you, because I don't look at myself as, a, as, a, as an old person. Of I course, don't either. Of course, I'm a white man, so that I can't okay. dispute. <laughs> white man raising his hand. Uh, right. It's okay. Uh, you, know, I, you know, as you get older, you're humble. You don't worry about that anymore. Um, I always was a reader. I love history. And um, I can be obsessive. Once I put my mind into something, I'm going to give it the best I can. If it was parking cars as a kid when I worked as, uh, in a garage in the city, if it was uh, uh, a paper boy, anything I did, my parents always instilled that uh, do the best you can or whatever you can do. So I'm given this book, and it was, you know, you have to read the whole thing, but they broke it up each week in different parts, so it makes it simpler. So I'm taking a little bit of everything. And they gave us that website to go on to the case book. Get in your rule box! And Don Landolfi, I love Don, and Jimmy Graham did a great job. They offset each other. 
Don would bring up his stories and get a little off topic, but they, they were so enthusiastic about it, and, and it wears on you too. So I just took a little by little, and I got into that rule box thing. And I remember they take as many tests as you can, and I was getting zeros and one and two and three, and I didn't like that, so I kept studying, going back to the book, taking the test, and um, I just loved learning the uh, the rules and uh, things that I I, I was oblivious about and I, I just like learning you know and it's a compulsion and and and, and it helped me a lot because I, I got one wrong on the the written test and then I right before the written test after the written test supposed to take a floor test I tore my Achilles tendon how did you do that it was at Manhasset okay and I'm going back there next I'm going back there Monday you're gonna cry thing. are you gonna kiss the floor I've been there before okay you know and I still got their crutches no I gave back the crutches that they gave me there and I was just um you know, I did work that morning in my other business, and I worked for about four or five hours, and I'm in pretty good shape. I don't know if that affected it. It doesn't matter. And I was just running into the lead position, casually looking on my shoulder, not a full steam, and boom, before I know it, I hit the floor. And I and I felt my my leg area, and it was a foreign feeling. You know, you sprain your ankle. You've sprained it before. You can understand it. This was what is this? And I looked to the bench. I thought maybe I tripped over some of the players. And they were looking there like, what is this old man doing on the floor? Mm. And it's funny, the trainer's office was right at the end line there. And I hobbled in there, and Don came in, and she told me, I, I think you tore my Achilles. I almost cried because I put all this effort into it. And I said, oh, man. But, you know, then I said, okay, it is what it is. And, um, and Don, great guy, he called me. I went to the hospital. I had it surgically repaired by a great doctor. And then I went through all the uh, physical therapy. That's the hard part of it. Because the initial, when you fall and the pain, that's it. There's no much pain unless you try to walk on it. But the physical therapy, and, and Don called me. He kept in touch. You know, I'll always be grateful for that, you know. And the following year, they made me take the whole thing over again. Yeah, and, 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 and much to your surprise, I was in the class too. That's <laughs> and then they wanted me to pay for it. But Don went to bat for me. He said, Steve, don't worry. You don't have to pay for it, you know. And I got... Three wrong on the written test the, the second time I took it. But that's how I tore it, you know, and it was a painful uh, recovery process. Yeah, I had to pay for it. I had to pay for it again. You did? I did. Well, when you fell. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, no excuse for that. Yeah, no excuse. Well, that, that is a, a commendable thing. I don't even know how I'd feel if I tore anything like that, but that is such a uh, inspirational story that uh, you were continuously being persistent on something of a goal that you had that you never even realized yet. You never even had a taste of it. You had a little taste with the scrimmage. And I don't know, that's that's just a remarkable story to me. Okay, so let's talk about your own officiating um, experience. Let's talk about your first couple of games. Oh, I remember my first CYO game. I got, you know, I passed the written test and Jimmy Green told us to go online and... I remember uh, that email. Email, yep. you can get games immediately. Mm -hmm. I remember what he said. He says, there's going to come a time when you're going to turn down games. Yeah. And and I, I, yeah, now I'll forget it. Never believe that. Never believe that. Turn who'd want to, <laughs> yeah. you know. So it started with my first CYO game. It was at Mary Regina. I was doing it with Norm Trishan, and I pull up, and I see him eating a sandwich in the car. And before that, I'm doing these exercises, and I'm drinking my fluids, and I'm worried about everything, you know. And it was, forget it. When you're new at that, it's like uh, being thrown in the ocean. You don't really know how to swim. Yeah. You know, and um, I did 
master the mechanics in the beginning because that was something I could control, getting my hand up on a foul call, on a violation, trying to point in the right directions. But there were double whistles in the beginning. There was ball watching, all the stuff that, you know, you have to experience first to correct it. You know, and I had great, even in CYO, I would have guys that pull me to the side and I'd ask them before, please tell me what I'm doing, correct me. I, I, I didn't worry about being that corrected. I try to do that with some officials. Sometimes you got to be a little cautious. Not everyone wants to hear or want to be corrected. But I had a lot of guys that said, listen, when you're coming over to uh, the lead position, just watch the area there. You don't got to worry about the backcourt. Little things. And I try to grab one or two things every game that I did wrong and try to correct it. If you try to correct five or six things, it becomes uh, uh, too mind-boggling. So that's what I did, and I try to tell officials in the beginning. One or two different things. Try to correct, try to improve on, and learn. Now, do you normally write these things down after you experience it, or do you kind of have a Rolodex in your head that you can refer yeah, to? I, I try to remember. It's always good to write things down. I believe you retain things better when you write it down, but I do keep it in my head. And sometimes I have to go over the mistakes I made before, but I do keep it. I'm cognizant of the things that I do, you know. Even today, I have a thing that I've been working on when I when there's a dead ball, I pay attention. I look at the table. I look at my fellow official and the clock before it goes in there. So if there's any clock thing, by uh, disparity in the clock, any, I'm understanding that. Those are things I continue to work on. Make sure there's 10 players on the court. And I've calmed myself down tremendously. In the beginning, you put your hand up, you're making the call, you know, calm yourself down. That was what I taught also. Yeah. We're in I, charge. I do remember one of the first times that we worked together, it was both very early on in our career. You put your hand up and you kind of look like the nutcracker <laughs> or like the Gestapo yeah. trying to stop somebody from uh, getting in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, your presence is definitely a lot more calmer now, mm -hmm. now that I think about it. Um, so... Since then, we both took the girls' class, and that was a two-year odyssey in Nassau County. Yes. Um, so, w where are you now with this? What? Where do you? Where do you want to go with this? Well, the girls' test. The hardest part was running around that track. Right. At my age. I remember practicing with my daughter. You know, running. A, it's only a half mile, but I'm. You know, at the time I was sixty something, and in my head I'm going, "Oh man!" And I was practicing with her, and uh, I started getting headaches because I was doing it at a quicker pace, and I said, oh, I'm never going to do this. But uh, I was able to pass that part of the test. Right now, I'm always looking to improve. You know, it is, you know as you put in uh, one of your posts the other day, learning never exhausts the mind. I love that one. I like little slogans like that, and you do a great job. I want to congratulate you. Thank you. Also, you know, we haven't mentioned you yet, but you've been an inspiration to me. You've been a friend to me. You know, and that's what's other thing that we've that I've gathered, I've made a lot of friends in through this basketball mm -hmm. fellowship that um, that are lifelong friends now that I can see and talk to. We talk family, not only basketball. So it's great, and you've, you, you've been a friend. I've helped you, but you've helped me, and I think that's how it works in life, and that's what I hope from this podcast. No, I didn't even know what a podcast was. I thought, I thought a podcast was a cast for a pod. You know, I'm 64. I, I can't even get it onto the computer. So, you know. Yeah, I basically got Steve off the street. Two computers, I'm, I'm headphones. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no studio? Well, you know, I hope my kitchen has the good sound effects. Like I mentioned before, Steve, not everyone is going to lug that rule book around and start mm -hmm. reading it. But yeah. people will consume it if they can hear it in the car or 
watch it on their computer. Right. So um, that's the, one of the side projects that Steve and I are going to be working on. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to give you a couple of case cases every week, mm-hmm. um, specific rules of basketball. And obviously, I'm going to get with other people, other sports, baseball, lacrosse, flag football. Uh, but at least for now, we're, we'll be focusing on on different situations and rules that um, would be a little quirky or things that you would see in the game. But I think that'll be a nice knowledge base for other officials to learn, I think. There's so many things that when you're just watching the game or playing the game and you come across here, you know, that uh, I didn't understand. I I didn't know, you know. So And it's not like others, well, I don't officiate other sports. You got to know what you're doing. Well, if that coach out there knows the rules and I don't know it, you know, there's one. There's a one big caveat when it comes to basketball. Football might be king. Mm-hmm. Basketball is definitely coming up, and I think it will be the number one sport within the next ten years of popularity. Yes, there's no doubt about it. But basketball is so segmented, but we all consume it the same way. Meaning, there's high school, there's college, there's the professionals. Those are three, sometimes even more than three, different sets of rules that everyone kind of jarbles in their mind and gets confused. So, for instance, if there's a shot attempt in high school and you make a play and there's an air ball from that shot attempt, that same player can still touch the ball and then continue Mm -hmm. a new dribble. Mm -hmm. Now, in the NBA, that's illegal. Mm -hmm. However, everyone watches that. That's a normal playground rule that everyone calls automatically. Catching your own pass. So that's one of those things where... It gets very contentious with players, coaches, and refs that don't know that rule when we know that like the back of our hand because we've seen that so many times. But this is what I'm saying. It's for everyone to be educated on specific rules. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I can say, somebody like James Harden, when I watch that guy on TV, I am utterly confused as to how I would officiate him. Sometimes I'm watching that game and I'm like... I can't even tell what his pivot foot is, when he stopped dribbling, and just I'm very confused on how he still initiates contact but still makes it look as if the defender initiated contact because he's so slick with his follow-through going into the body of a defender because he does it such in a good way. When, when I watch James Harden, I, I just I get very confused. And I don't know, some things don't apply. And you also got to think that officials in the NBA, um, they have to ref a little bit different than us. And they're always mandated by the assigners in which they're working for. So if you got to think about it, they're more, of course, they have to have rule knowledge and game management and they have to be accurate over 95%. But the key is that they're the guardians of the entertainment in which everyone's watching. So if Kevin Durant has three personal fouls within the first three minutes of the first quarter, who are they going to blame? Regardless of it's foul or not, they have to ref in a different way. But hopefully Steve and I can accumulate a bunch of cases that everyone can find worthwhile. Can I just say something? Sure. When I watch the NBA game, I do watch the officials, and I watch them for their poise, the way they control the game, their mannerisms, their mechanics, a lot of the walks, a lot of the lane violations, I don't disregard. I remember Don saying, don't watch the NBA. College and high school, I will watch and I learn from what they're doing. But in the NBA, I just try to watch their poise, their mechanics, and the way they control the flow of the game. And I admire them how, on the, all that pressure, they seldom lose their cool. You know, they talk to the coaches when they have to. You know, and, and and but the college and high school games, I watch a lot of tapes. We're able to watch it on our TVs now, and I, I try to learn from them. Mm. So I definitely know that your 
one of your biggest goals is to make varsity on the girls' side and the boys' side in Nassau. Mm -hmm. What do you think it's going to take for you to elevate at that level? Um, just remaining consistent, keep learning. You know, that's the number one thing. And um, uh, just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, at this point, I think everyone thinks they're good enough to go to the next level. I think you're I good think, enough. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, give you the, the, yeah, the stamp think, of approval right now. But if I don't make it, that's fine, too. In the beginning, I used to see these guys moving up. And I said, how can they move up and not me? Mm. And I can't do that, you know. I can't look at it like that. I'll build up resentment. And it, it won't be good for me. I just keep learning every single game. You know, I try to talk to the official. We do a pregame. I do the uh, the pregame with the players. I read the card, and I, I do the proper mechanics. And whatever the chips fall, I know when I go to bed at night, I've given a hundred percent, and I haven't cheated the players, and I haven't cheated myself. Okay, outside of uh, making varsity lists on both of those. A particular associations. Uh, do you have any other goals or aspirations in referee? You do you want to pick up another sport? You keep uh, telling me baseball, baseball, baseball. So I'm looking at uh, uh, that as my next little sport. You know, I'm 64. I still, I have, I drive Enterprise. I sell clothing. I'm in the clothing business. I ref. And I'm getting to the point where, I, you know, my daughter's in college and I love baseball. And that looks like it's my next avenue, you know. I'm going to pray on it and, uh, with your help and tutelage. And uh, I know you keep asking me. That that looks like the next step. Cool. And Practicing my steak. Can't wait for that one. <laughs> well, I'll just say that um, it is much more. I was doing a strike call. If you don't get it, guys, you might not be able to see steak. All right. It's it's much more fulfilling than I thought it would be. Even though it's really slow compared to basketball, but it is it's a fun game. It's but, a fun game to officiate. Everyone does know Ralph does football, he does lacrosse and um I think when there's cockroach races somewhere he does officiate that. Yeah, and I also I also write on a, uh, a oh, website, refereerand.com. Chicken, chicken, chicken fights, whatever they do. And he also tune up your car if no. Oh boy. <laughs> um so what is your best memory officiating basketball? Do you have a particular memory that stands out? Uh, you know what? I, I cheated, and I saw the list of questions you were going to ask me before, and I was thinking about that. And this might sound a little off base. I remember doing the CYO game, and this little kid who finally got in at the end of the game. When was this? This is about four years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, it was at Holy Family Church. And this kid probably never scored in the year, and he goes and he gets the best and he shoots and I called it a foul it could have went anyway but I knew this little kid and he's at the foul line and his parents are right in the stands looking at him and he's looking at them and he sunk his first three throw and you would see the smile on all those faces it was heartwarming it's amazing that's one of the you know there's other memories hey. but I, and I'll never forget that the little kid probably never scored again and I don't know what went on in his career but just to see the smiles on his parents and his face, you know, it, it was worth the price of admission. You know, a little thing. There's a lot of great memories, a lot of people, a lot of players, you know, uh, coaches and uh, officials. But that stuck out at the moment. There's others, but that came to the top of my head. What was one of the worst memories that you have officiating basketball? Or what was one of the stickiest situations? Or maybe a rule got mixed up or something? Oh. Uh, 
Well, I had that bad situation with you. With, I don't, I don't uh, know what bad situation you're... Oh. Uh, God, should we mention that? No. We can, but yeah, sure. We, we could talk about that. I, I think it would be worth it if you mentioned that other one. Uh, chairs were thrown. Oh, that, that's, that was the second one. You know, when you're a new official, and this is my first year, I was working with uh, Chris... Uh, Anthony Lopiano. Anthony Lopiano, great guy, a good official, but we're raw. You know, and sometimes the coaches see raw, we're red meat. Smell blood. See, we're lying. You know, and we were doing it at Chaminade. I was amazed at the facility. I went to Bayside High in the city. and Great I facility. Went, you know, back then it wasn't. The backboards were, they weren't clear. The lighting wasn't. The lights were coming through. Uh, I go to Chaminade. I see this beautiful, beautiful gym. It was like a mini St. John's. And it's my first year at Island Gardens. We're doing an AAU game. And this coach was testing us right from the beginning, you know, ranting, raving, screaming, actually insulting us. And at one point in the game, I'm heading down to my lead position, and he's on top of Anthony and on me. And, and he made a few miscues in the, the, the coach. He didn't know the rules entirely. A player came on the court from out of bounds and inbounds and touched the ball first. He was planted inbounds, and he said, no, he can't be the first one to touch it. I said, that's not the rule. So, But he kept from that, kept building up and through the game. And at one point, I look over, and he lifts up a chair and makes like he's going to slam like a wrestler. <laughs> and I should have teed him up then. I was a little intimidated. They you the truth back then. You know, I was learning. And right then and then, I should have teed him up. And it just got worse from there because we didn't take the bull by the horns. We let it get out of hand. We both knew. And finally, we give him a tee, and he comes rushing on the court. And Anthony's holding the ball, and he punches it right out of his hand. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Then he started insulting me and us because we were allowed to wear shorts. It's in the summertime, and I'm wearing my uh, socks high. And he said, you guys look like soccer referees. No, you look like a soccer ref. I'm yeah. pretty sure Anthony didn't yeah, look like he, a soccer ref. He actually said it to me, you know, because I'm wearing the compression shorts up to my knees. And the supervisor was the assistant principal, Shamanard, and he comes on the court, and he just game over I couldn't believe this guy's behavior like that and he was brought up on disciplinary charges and we had to come to a hearing before deposition that. a deposition and me and Anthony were, uh, what are we going to say so I see him walk into Island Gardens and then he walks out and Jim Fox calls us he says the guy quit he, did. he knew he was wrong and they had enough of this it was going on he will remain nameless and it was going on for a while, but that took me back. What I learned from the game is I don't take no crap, you know. I'm there to do my job, and if I see something wrong, tee them up early. But that was one of those situations. It didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth because the kids' game was canceled. And as I'm walking out, one of the kids says, he does this on every game. I said, so that was a, that was a bad moment, but I learned from it. We could talk about that, that night that we were together in October. Uh, it was about, what, three months ago? Uh, I wish it was 10 months ago, I can, a few years back. Let me paint the picture before you tell me how you felt. So <laughs> I think that the ball was going the other way, so I went from transitioning from the trail to the lead. Mm -hmm. I wasn't particularly watching the division line. Particularly? <laughs> you weren't. I, I wasn't. <laughs> I think one of the coaches were, um, I guess the kid was going up the court and for some reason got backcourt violation. Mm -hmm. I think you were looking at something else. Not exactly sure what you were looking at. I know that I was already up the court. Mm -hmm. And all I can hear at the end of it was, 
that's a backcourt violation, coach. I mean, ref. And then you, I guess you thought about it for a second, and then... This is what happened. As the ball was inbounded, I noticed the clock wasn't starting. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to get the attention of the table to start it. And I took my attention off from the play at midcourt. And the guy did commit a backcourt violation, but I didn't see it. I knew it was, because he's over there and back there, and they're screaming. And at first I said I didn't see it, and I went to you, and then I came back and I said I did see it, which I didn't, which I felt bad about, because I wasn't being honest, and I ruled the ball as a backcourt violation when I actually didn't see it. I made a mistake. And I did, at the end of the end of the bad thing about it, the team didn't bounce, first shot, he puts up a three-pointer. And I'm, mm. saying, I'm saying, don't go in, don't go in. Oh, it went in. It went in. It went in. At the end of the game, I went up to the coach and I apologized. I said I shouldn't have made that call. So for now, what I took away from that game, if there's a clock not moving, I'm, not, I'm just going to let the game play on. And then when it's the proper time, dead ball, I'm going to extract them to take off time, put on time, whatever it is. But I was wrong. I made a mistake. And I owned up to it, so... I wasn't proud that day. Well, I, I remember the advice that I gave to you after the next dead ball, and I said to you, and this is something that I'm pretty sure that you abide by most of the time, but I think something forced your hand in your mind. But um, just because everything is obvious doesn't mean that you saw it. Mm -hmm. And I always say that if you don't see it, you can't call anything that you don't right, see. Right, right. And I don't care how obvious it is. Right. I try to tell a kid, and that's, I think that's a good habit. I mean, that's not what they want to hear in real time. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if somebody's in, you're in the lead and somebody's getting fouled or they got fouled so maliciously and other people have seen it, and you say, I didn't see it because you didn't see it, Right. What's what's any harm in saying that? I know they're going to be upset at you that they that you didn't see it. They you might get a reply. Well, then what are you looking at? Right. Then, don't do, then do your job. But at the same time, I'm I'm giving you honest replies. I'm telling you, I did not see it. Mm -hmm. If I see a foul, I call the foul. If I can't see it, then I won't call it. And I'll never call anything that I can't explain for myself right. in rules language. Right. If if it's something that I'm I'm unsure of, you're never going to hear a whistle from me. Right. And I remember going up to you and I said, what'd you see? And you didn't see it at all. And I was hoping you would just say, white ball, black ball. But, it, you know, best thing, honesty is the best policy. Mm -hmm. You can never go wrong when you backpedal. Yeah. Okay. I guess we'll end this. It's only fitting for us to talk about one rule. Okay. Um, let's talk about what you have a rule that you want to speak on. Here, I got one. Okay. So this is a boy's rule. 10-second violation in boys. If the ball goes up, out of bounds, bringing it up, the count now gets to seven. If the ball goes out of bounds, do they get a new count? Yes or no? Yes, they do. That's the boys. Uh, they get a new 10-second count. Okay, now in the girls, they don't? They, they don't. That's the difference in the girls. You know, and There's some kind of a conflict. I did a game once, and the coach was saying that they don't get a new 10-second, but in the boys, and we did call up uh, our good buddy Don Landolfi. <laughs> You know, I love going to Don. You know, he sometimes calls me a PIA, a pain in the ass, but I know that's in a loving way, and he loves when people call up. And, um, and you know, he verified. I knew it anyway, that you get a new test seconds in that. In the IABO 2018-2019 High School Edition book, that's in case book 9.8, situation C. After A1 has dribbled for nine seconds in A's backcourt, A, 
A1 represent, requests a timeout, or B, B1 deflects the ball out of bounds. The ruling in both A and B, Team A will have 10 seconds to advance the ball to the front court following the throw-in if a player of Team A gains control in A's backcourt. So. Yeah, can't get more precise. That's what's the great thing about it. You go to the book, you keep studying it, they give you the situation, they give you the ruling, and it's me from now on to eternalize it, understand it, because that situation can come up and not, boom, I don't have to hesitate, I don't got to think. It becomes second nature. Yeah, but now they're not going to go to the rule book. They're going to go to refereerand.com, and they're going to learn all these yeah, rules. Yeah, this is great. Frank, uh, Frank, I keep going. Frank. I don't know why he keeps calling me Frank. Because I work with a guy, Frank. Frank's in his Usually dreams. on Mondays, yeah. I like calling you Pino. That's his nickname. It's on his license plate. Oh, it goes back to his Philippine heritage. So we'll keep it Pino. Uh, Ralph, it's it's been a pleasure. You know, I was a little nervous doing this. You know, anything, Yeah, you I, completely nailed it. Yeah, anything I do, I like to do the best, and I hope it helps to the... Uh, our fellow officials out there, you know, because there's actually no other medium, we call it, no other uh, place where you can just get instant information. Yeah. You can go to YouTube and this and that, but and it's also, I like that it's bringing up my personal experience with it. Yeah. And this is... Add some color are. to it. And a person, an official out there can identify, yeah, I've been through that with CYO, yeah, I did that with the coaches, this, I had this, and they're not alone in it. You know, we're all in it together. Yeah. So, in the coming weeks, you could expect more rules and cases from Steve and I. Yeah. I uh, hope you enjoy this podcast, um, and until tomorrow.